The Gospel of John chapter 1. Guests, this is a safe place to be and to start to begin to read uh, the Bible for yourself. If you didn't bring one, all you need to do is just grab a device and Google John 1 and put in the initials ESV, the letters ESV, English Standard Version. That'll be the one I'm reading from. You're going to want to follow along, see it for yourself. I'll do all the rest. Gospel of John chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. Technically today, the translator, a heading above all of this reads, the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. This morning, we begin a new season, a new season in our life as a congregation. Some congregations measure their uh, time together by a calendar. The calendar, some uh, by who their pastor was at a given season of their life or a building project or whatever you want to say. But here at Sovereign Grace, we measure the seasons, our seasons together, our life together by the books of the Bible, the books of the Bible that we study on Sundays. And today's one of those days for Today we officially, I know we started on Christmas Eve, but today we officially begin a new book, the Gospel according to John, a new season in our life together as a congregation. So, so before we begin, allow me for a moment before we, I read for you to explain again why it is that we do this the way we do this. Why, we, why it is that we do the way this the way we do this, why we preach through entire books of the Bible cover to cover. You see, it's our practice. If you've been around any length of time, you would know that here at Sovereign Grace, we, we typically uh, select a book and then we work through that book rather than jumping all over the place, rather than focusing on a specific topic or a, a timely issue or highlighting a subject that might be, seem to be useful to us. And there's a place for that, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with preaching a topical sermon or a series of sermons addressing a particular interest. There are churches everywhere right now preaching series on Israel and the nation of Israel. That, there's nothing wrong with that. However, listen, however, our preference, our practice, Sovereign Grace Church of Old Town Orange, we're getting old enough that we get stuck in our ways, is to teach him what is called, and I'll say it in Latin because then it makes me sound smarter, Lectio Continua. Lectio Continua, which I know sounds a lot like a Harry Potter spell, but it's not. Listen, Lectio Continua, maybe it is too, but in plain English, it means continuous reading. Continuous reading or reading in sequence or preaching in sequence. We go line by line through books of the Bible, paragraph by paragraph, sentence by sentence, cover to cover. Why? Why? Because we're convinced that when we preach entire books of the Bible in sequence, we get better sermons. We get better sermons. And uh, uh, it's debatable, but you can't prove it, as uh, Dylan said. What? Why do we get better sermons when we do it this way? And here's my short list of reasons. There's lots of reasons, but here, I'll give you just four. One, we get the context. We get, we get the context. Preaching in sequence means that everyone has the benefit of watching the book unfold and develop it in context. Number two, uh, we get variety. We get variety, which is the spice of life. Preaching in sequence means that we cover everything, even the more obscure or controversial subjects, maybe ones that make us uncomfortable, that we might not have addressed if we were selecting individual verses and passages. We preach and teach the entire, the whole counsel of God by doing what we do. No, number three, I hope, I hope this is true, we get better preachers. We get better preachers. Listen, here's our hope. Preaching in sequence means the preacher must understand. It requires that the preacher understand the entire book 
before he preaches even one sentence of the book. So we get better prepared <laughs> preachers. Most of the work of a sermon series at Sovereign Grace Church of Old Town Orange is done before we begin. And finally, and this is maybe my favorite, this is my hobby horse, why, why we do it this way, number four, last one, we get better readers, readers of the Bible. We get better readers of the Bible. Preaching in sequence means that we are training you to do what we do as preachers, to read the scriptures for yourself. Listen, listen, one of the goals, maybe one of the larger goals, not the number one, two, I don't know where it is on the list, but one of the goals of the pulpit ministry of our church, I would say for every church, is to train the church to read the Bible. To train the church to read the Bible. We, we don't want you walking away on Sundays. Look, here's the goal, and if we do this, let us know. We don't want you walking away on Sunday saying, I don't know how he did what he just did. Where he got what he just got. Uh, I've never seen that for my, I would never have seen that if he would not have told me. Instead, you should be thinking, that was obvious. <laughs> that was obvious. The better the sermon, the more of us are saying, well, no duh, that's the point of the passage, right? Good sermons cause Christians to be confident in their ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to read the Bible for themselves. This is why we do it this way. We will always need teachers for sure, but our sermons are to train you to be readers. And I pray this is the case every week, and I love that we do this together, and, I, oh, oh, and that we share a fierce commitment to the reading and teaching and proclamation of God's Word faithfully, publicly, with courage for the, for the proclamation of the gospel, the building up of the saints, and for the glory of God. So, okay, with that in mind, that's why we do this the way we do this. And on Christmas Eve, we started the first few verses. They're still fresh in our hearts. We begin, would you look with me, chapter 1, verse 6 and following. I'll read them, pray, verse 6. Oh, this is good. There was a man, verse 6, sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that, we, that all might believe through him. Verse 8, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth john bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom i said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me verse 16 for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. 
the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. The very words of God, would you, would you pray briefly for understanding? Father, Your words do things, accomplish things that we cannot do. We ask that You, would You give us, give us grace to hear them? We ask that You would help us to understand them as we begin this study of this entire book over the next year or so. Lord, I pray that there would be many epiphanies that you would, you would break into our hearts and our minds and illuminate truths and realities that right now are just dull and faint outlines are present in our perception of our lives and ourselves and this world. And Father, I pray as we preach 50, 60 sermons out of this book, the net result would be that we would believe and we would receive and that by believing and receiving your son Jesus, we would be saved. Saved from ourselves, from the misery of our sin, from the evil one, from your own wrath. Teach us, change us, breathe life into this room every Sunday as you have. We pray with confidence Fill every preacher with your spirit. Lord, do great things through these few moments we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, there are, if you're unaware, if you're new to the Bible, you would be maybe unaware, there are four Gospels in the New Testament. Four Gospels, four, four books called Gospels, for each providing us with a... a, a, a a different perspective, divinely inspired, but a, a, a different perspective on the same story. They're called Gospels because they are the announcement or the proclamation, the publication of, as a book, the publication of the good news regarding the life and ministry and death and resurrection and now reign of this one man named Jesus. He's the main character in all four. The, actually, the, the fact that they're called Gospels, and that's how we receive them in, in tradition, that they're called Gospels, identified, that they're identified by this word Gospel, which is different than the Gospel, but these Gospels, these four separate accounts, this tells us something about how the early church thought about these books, these separate accounts. It tells us something how they viewed them. They're, they're not dry historical records of the life of Jesus, but written versions of the greatest news ever shared. That's why they call them Gospels. They're written versions of the greatest news ever shared. The Gospels were meant to be proclaimed and believed and received. I think this is fascinating if you're a student of the Scriptures. Four books. We have four books that... In total, as a, as a, a, a four-set volume, right, four-volume set, four books that record almost everything we know about the most important man who has ever lived in the history of mankind. If you want to learn about things about Jesus, what he said and did, this is where you go, almost exclusively, to these four ancient texts, which we believe they claim to be 
written by eyewitnesses or people who spoke with the eyewitnesses during the first century. Uh, it, this is a, these are specific kinds of books, a specific kind of book, a type of literature unique, not repeatable, can't write any more Gospels now. That's why there's other Gospels floating around. If you ever wondered and you heard some other Gospels, they, they, they don't pass this test. They, they, they are part narrative, part history, part theological, all mashed together, crafted for one big purpose. One big goal. Here's why they were written. That we might believe in Jesus. That's it. Four books, one point, one goal. Believe in Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew, it begins with the genealogy of Jesus, the family line of Jesus. This is where Jesus came from. This is who he is. The Gospel of Mark, the sec- the, right? Mark begins immediately with the public ministry of Jesus. He goes really fast. This is the shortest. He drops us right into the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. The Gospel according to Luke begins by making the point that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that they have in mind and in his audience. And John, the Gospel of John, the Gospel according to John begins with time before time began. He goes all the way back. Time before time began. If you peek up for a moment at verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, we read this on Christmas Eve, but if I could just read it for you again, this is where John begins. He begins with time before time began. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. See that there in verse 1? And the Word was God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. He's talking about the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. This is how John opens up his gospel, his account, his perspective. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John, unlike the other three, John begins at the beginning. The very beginning. Unlike the other gospel writers, he takes it all the way to the very start. Before the start, there's no mistaking it. His opening lines are intended to bring to mind the very first verses of your Bible. Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Listen, this is what he's doing here. Listen. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. If you flipped all the way back, you don't need to. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you received this gospel, this account in the first century, you would have been and you were familiar with the scriptures. You, well, what was John saying? In the beginning, God created the heavens. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Sounds like John chapter 1. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the, fluttering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that light was good. Does it sound like John? And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. This is what I love about the beginning of John's gospel. He opens by stating up front in what feels, it feels a little modern. I mean, it's familiar, very, very accessible or related, relatable versus maybe a genealogy that you're staring at names, and you don't know who these people are. He starts with answers, answers to the most basic, fundamental questions 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 that we all must answer in fact we all have answers for even if your answer is i don't care we all have answers for sometimes referred to a somebody would say that all together a worldview a perspective on reality 
We all have answers. And here are the questions you, you typically have to answer if you want to get at your own worldview. Why is there something rather than nothing? What's gone wrong with this world? Is there any hope? This is give your bearings in this world. And where is history going, headed? Why is there something rather than nothing? What is wrong with the world? Is there any hope? Where is history headed? Those are the questions commonly asked when someone is articulating their worldview, the set of answers to all of life's biggest questions. And John answers them all in the prologue. He's going to get you ready as he introduces his gospel account. And I want to show you his answers to the four questions, but it's only fair, only fair before I show you his answers, that before I do, we spend, and we spend the next year and a half with breaks and interruptions carefully, uh, studying every sentence and every paragraph, it would only be fair to tell you why we're doing this. I know I gave you some reasons why we do it the way we do it, but why, why, why a gospel? Why are we doing this? And to be clear, why John wrote this. So keep your finger in chapter 1, but flip over to chapter 20. If you're on your device, just keep swiping really fast or scrolling really fast. But the gospel of John chapter 20, I, I, I keep your finger there. We're going to go right back to chapter 1, but just so you see it, near the end of the book, we're going to return to chapter 1. But if you look at chapter 20, verse 10, John explains himself in the end. He explains himself, and he writes explicitly about his intentions. There's no Easter egg in the Gospel of John. Listen, chapter 20, verse 30, even the translator heading is forthright. He's clear. The purpose of this book, and I want to give it to you ahead of time. The purpose of this book, verse 30, John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And you can all give a, uh, like a sad sigh what were those we don't know oh but verse 31 but these everything we're going to read for the next year and a half these were written so that you may believe that jesus is the christ a son of god oh this is the goal this is why we're doing this and that by believing you may have life you may have life in his name. No beating around the bush. We are devoting ourselves in 2024 and 2025, and oh, golly, it could go on forever. No, uh, uh, to preaching the gospel according to John for one goal above every other goal that you might believe in him, that we might believe in him. And by believing in him, believing him, Jesus, we may live spiritually. Every sermon, every week, if it feels like we're repeating ourselves and you're wondering when we're going to get in a topical sermon about something like current events or whatever else, you're going to be, dis, going to be dis, discouraged or disappointed. We are going to be persuading, encouraging, contending for faith in Christ, who he is, what he's accomplished, and how it could change everything about you personally, spiritually, and as a church family, even us collectively, as we live in him, in him, united to him, and for him here in Orange County, California. 2024 okay just being faith uh truth <laughs> and reveal the the purpose right up front and i know that's what you want us to do so now turn back to chapter one 
Allow me to answer the four questions John, John answers for us, giving us a worldview a wor- to, in, in which to engage with the rest of his account. Perhaps the four most important questions any one of us must answer. Number one, here's the first question. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than I guess, listen, I think we all have to agree that there is something, right? Not everybody agrees. Just Google that one. <laughs> maybe maybe we're, we're in some sort of simulation, right? Or something like that. But, but if we could all agree that there is something, right? I think, therefore, I am. But why? Answering the why question. Why is there something rather than nothing? Do you want the short answer or the long answer? I'll give you both. Short answer. The short answer is for God's glory. That's why there is something rather than nothing. All of something, creation, is designed to be a reflection, a mirror, to reflect the glory, the majesty, the worth, the weight and value and beauty of God. That's why there is something. Because we didn't need, there'd be no other purpose for the something than to glorify the someone, the creator. But the long answer, which is my, uh, that's my specialty. Um, <laughs> we draw right from the text. Look again, verse 1. John writes, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Or in other words, God existed before the beginning. That's what John is saying. Before there was time, because what is time if not a measurement of creation itself, this pre-existent one is God, John says. And with God, who himself is God, is the Word. Why why does John call him, this other pre-existent one who is with him, the Word? Allow, allow, Allow... Theologian James Hamilton explained. He's a, he's a guy out of the South somewhere today. Uh, contemporary. This is what he writes. And I love it. This is the world's most econo- economical articulation, like most concise, right? Economical articulation of the everlasting relationship between God the Father and God the Son. I agree. I told you this is going to be a long answer, but his answer is shorter. Uh, the first statement of John's gospel, he writes, is a bomb of meaning that goes off without warning, erupting suddenly. He writes, Here John proclaims the word as God through whom the world was made, in whom is life, and who is unquenchable light. He writes, Behold behold the mystery of the Trinity. Within the one God are three persons. This is all right here in the opening verses. Sharing one nature forever. The word was with God, and the word was God, something so beautiful and glorious, so complex and simple, it must be admired. That's what John's saying here. He writes, John is like a man holding out a diamond to a viewer, and after the initial awe-inspiring presentation, begins to turn the stone so that all its facets might be admired from various angles. In verse 2, he restates, this is what Hamilton says, he he restates what he said in verse 1 by saying, he was in the beginning with God. So economical. I love it. Minimalist. The word is the, Hamilton writes, the word is the communication of the Father. He is the rational force of the Trinity. Fulsomeness and overflowing into infinite goodness. That that, that word was no impersonable force, he writes, but a full person alongside the Father at the principal moment of all things and he writes the word was both 
with God and was God, was and with, co-equal, indistinguishable, yet distinct. Hearkening back to everything God has already revealed about us to us about himself. That's what's happening right here. He's beginning at the very beginning. It's very familiar. His life-giving will and action. God's life-giving will and action. He speaks and stars are born. He speaks and plants grow. He speaks and nations rise and fall. He speaks and a heart beats. When John writes, without him was not anything made that was made, he asserts that God the Father through the Son is responsible for all that is something. Nothing, I love this, nothing has slithered into the world apart from the sovereign purposes of the world's creator. John asserts with equivocation, no equivocation or qualification, all was made through Jesus. Without Jesus, nothing was made. And then we read near the end of the passage, verse 14, why is there something rather than nothing? Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Why is there something rather than nothing? So that we might see and experience and Love and rejoice and celebrate and be impressed with God. That's why you exist. That's why anything that's something is. Hamilton concludes his little commentary on this. He writes here, Behold the glory of Jesus. This is what John's saying. Right in the opening. Before he tells the whole story. Behold the glory of Jesus, only begotten of the Father, word before all worlds. The word before all worlds. Light that gives life. Full of grace and truth. Son revealing the Father. To whom be glory forever. Second question. Second question of life's most important questions. What's gone wrong with the world? This is wonderful, but what went wrong? What went wrong? Look for verse 6. Verse 6. We rejected him. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that, we, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now this is John the Baptist that we're reading about here. Not John our author. That'd be weird if he talked about himself in first whatever, first person. No, this is John the Baptist, and we're going to pick up his story next week, so we won't focus on it at all here. But so for now, just look, verse 9. John the Baptist has come bearing witness of the light. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and we're speaking about Jesus. Yet the world did not know him. What's wrong with the world? The world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This, listen, this again must be the most economical, minimalistic explanation regarding what went wrong with the world. God the Son, Jesus, created everything. And when Jesus, the creator of everything, enters into everything, creation, everyone 
doesn't recognize him. Didn't acknowledge him. Didn't receive him. Didn't welcome him. As they and we should. They didn't believe. Listen. Here's what's wrong with the world. The world didn't believe it was him. That's been the story since the beginning of creation. <laughs> the first humans, they didn't believe that God was God and that they were created. To, they didn't believe in who fundamentally God was, that he was completely other and, and not like us. They, they, didn't believe they, were, they didn't believe they were created to find their life and meaning and purpose and safety and goodness and peace in God himself. And instead, they treat, tried to create themselves as God. Right? They ate the forbidden fruit. Why? Because they wanted to be like God. God had something that they could have, they believed. But they weren't. They weren't God. And so it has gone ever since. That's the story. It's hearkening back to us as we start the Gospel of John. Ever since, all of us, including me, including you, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. No one is an exception. No one is exceptional. Not even Israel. The very people that God has been gracious and kind to and caring and fatherly towards for centuries, millennium, even the chosen people didn't believe it was him. Instead, just like you and I, we embrace the darkness. We're captivated by the darkness. We're, we're rebels. We're idolaters. We're looking for a God, any God, but not that God. Lovers of ourselves and creation rather than for the one who we were created to enjoy and to glorify. And it has led us into a world it has ruined. If you're wondering what's wrong with the world, the world is full of misery and injustice and evil and depression and tears. Whatever comes to your mind when you think wicked and wrong, blame it on this. At the very bottom, humanity as a whole, by nature, has rejected Jesus. That's John's answer to what went wrong with the world. Listen, not some liberal policy or some neocon con conspiracy or the fact that we all just lack empathy or tyranny. It's much more tragic than all of those things. Those things are just the fruit of this thing. And it's very personal. It's not them out there. It's us in here. Question number three. Third question. Uh, oh, why is there something rather than nothing? What's going wrong with the world? Here's the next one. Is there any hope? John's going to answer it right now. Is there any hope? And my answer is yes. Thankfully, John's answer is yes. Verse 12, John writes, if you look, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God's own people. Who were born, not of blood. This is a rebirth. This is a spiritual birth. This is being born again. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, not something you do that gets you there, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. <laughs> Listen, as tragic, as tragic as it is to what has gone wrong with the world, and, and we could get rabbit trailed on this time and time again. We've got to resist this. To focus on what's wrong with the world rather than the hope for the world. To be experts at the darkness. And just assume the light. So, listen, as bad as it is, that much more times a bazillion is astounding the claim of Christianity to the question, is there any hope? And you might be asking this very question this morning. You might be been asking it for a long time. You might be, because it's December 31st, 2023, and as you reflect on, the, on, on, on last year, and then you think about next year, you're asking the question, really, if we're honest, is there any hope? Isn't this 2024? I think if I do my math, which is so complicated and magical, but if I do the math, I think this is an election year. <laughs> you fill in the blank kind of year. Is there any hope? It's that bad? Yes. John says, right from the start, you want to answer this question? Yes, there is, and it comes in the form, not of a policy, not of an economic turn of events, not a practice or a form of, you might even say, religion. It comes in a person named Jesus, who's the promised Messiah. Another word for it, the Christ. God himself. John says, took on flesh became like us shining in the darkness a way back to the father to god through the son all yours and mine for the taking that's john's point right up front this is why i'm writing this this is why we're preaching this this is why it's here all ours for the taking it's interesting listen John never uses, we're not going to encounter this at all in the Gospel of John, John never uses the noun forms of words like belief and faith in, in, in this Gospel. He doesn't use the noun forms if you're a good grammar person. It's always a verb. Believe. Receive. As if to communicate loudly and clearly that this isn't a thing that you already possess, but rather something, <laughs> something you can do. Faith. Believe. Even better, receiving. Receiving what? Christ. Christ Jesus himself. Now, if you're wondering, what do I do with this book? I'm going to go back and quote a book that I quoted a long time ago, and if you guess who it is, it's, you don't have to guess because I'm going to tell you it's John Piper, and it's a book that we, I read, and it's controversial, and we just love it, and uh, whatever. Uh, but here's a, a passage on a book about this subject. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. <laughs> I did this when we were studying John, uh, Galatians. What is faith? This believing, receiving that we're going to read about throughout and is the goal of the Gospel of John. Piper writes, saving faith receives Christ as valuable. That's what that is. Pre receives Christ as precious, satisfying, as a treasure. He says, saving faith is a treasuring, receiving, a treasuring, 
believing, a treasuring trust, a treasuring faith, a receiving act of the soul. That's the goal here, that we would receive as an act of hope. It offers nothing, this, this, this action. You're not going to offer God anything as you read John and believe, right? It's, it's a receiving. It offers nothing. It wants everything. It's not giving. It is receiving. It's like Christmas, right? I'm treasuring. I love how he writes it. A peculiarly a receiving grace. This is a good thing. And it comes by faith, which is all about receiving it's not that you've been a good person, or I've been a good person, or that you've been naughty. It, or, <laughs> it's not that you believe in yourself. You know, God, would you believe in me? I believe in you. Quite the opposite. Even faith. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift itself. Listen, John Piper keeps writing, believing and receiving and treasuring are the reflexes of emptiness looking away to Christ away from the darkness, away from the brokenness. There's hope. There's hope. You can receive him, a soul that says, I must have this one. Jesus, him and all that he is. Because I know that without him, I am nothing. I am less than nothing. I have nothing. I can earn nothing. I am bankrupt and can be nothing. And in the end, I will be alone, empty, poor, riddled with regrets and remorse and guilt. And so I give up. I have no other options. I've tried everything else. Many of us in the room, that will be our testimony. And now my identity will be invested fully, no longer in how well I do things, but rather in one person. I'll die to the demands of our to, my to-do list, right? And my not-to-do list. And I'll take Jesus as my treasure. What does John say? His gospel is going to be about this. But to all, verse 12, but to all who receive him. Not something necessarily you do like a work, like something you do to achieve this. But that, even that is a gift. But those who receive him, who treasure him, who, who believed in his name, John writes, he gave the right to become children of God. What do you want to be in 2024? I want to be a child of God. Who were born, verse 13, not of blood or of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who believe and receive, John says, I believe, will live. Because Jesus lives. He was crushed for my sins, for your sins. He lives for your life. His life, for those who believe and receive him, is your life. It's no longer you that lives, but Christ who lives in me. There is hope. There's hope for you. I don't how dark 24 appears, how regretful 23 was, there is immeasurable hope found in him. What he has done and what he is now doing, if only you will receive. Last question, number four. Very briefly, where, where then is all this headed? Right? Why is there something rather than nothing? What went wrong with this world? Is there any hope? And where is all this heading? Verse 14. 
John answers. He sums it all up. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there, famously people repeat it because it's so precious. The word dwelt, it's as if he pitched his tent among us. It's hearkening back and reminding us of God's people wandering in the wilderness and having a tabernacle, a, a tent where God dwelt. God dwelt among us. Middle of verse 14. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There are many things in this world that sparkle and shine and glimmer, but, but this one, this is a glory that we've not seen anywhere else. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this is the one whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And, and John's a big figure, and we're going to learn about him next week. But even John says, I don't count when compared to this one. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God but by faith. The only God, and this is so economical, who is at the Father's side he has made him known and continues to make him known. It's why John wrote this book. Actually, John, John tells the same thing when he starts writing letters later. In, uh, you pick it up later in the New Testament. He writes, here's the end of John, 1 John, his first letter. He writes, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. This is our testimony. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And he writes, I write these things to you who believe. And so many of us in the room believe. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. Where is all this heading? Eternal life. Life with God forever. Sorry. What's your answer to these questions? You've you got to answer them. It's, it's, it's New Year's Eve. Go home, keep, turn the TV off, and answer the questions. Who, who, who are you believing in receiving in 2024. I hope it's not yourself. I pray. I pray we all would, would have Christ. And Christ crucified alone. That we might live. Would you pray with me? Father, Father, how sweet it is to read your words and to enjoy your Son How encouraging it is to know that you have pierced the darkness and spoken your word in flesh and he has now pitched his tent among us that we might see something we would see nowhere else by faith. We would treasure something greater than anything this world offers. 
and by doing so, would receive the unfathomable gift of life forevermore. Oh, I pray you would do this for each and every one of us in this room. Give us the gift of faith that we might receive him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.